I want you to go uh, in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, this is where we've been pulling this series, uh, Focus Under Fire. Ever felt like your focus has been under attack? You guys alive in 2020? <laughs> Our focus has been under attack. Focus Under Fire. This is part two, Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, this, uh, it's, it, we talked about this last week, and we'll touch on it today. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Now listen to this. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. The pioneer and the perfecter of our faith for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, I love this, and I think you have to understand this with focus, is focus is not about, not about focusing on the pain of our current season. Doesn't mean that the pain's not there. Doesn't mean that we don't feel it. Doesn't mean that we're not experiencing it in some way. But Jesus lays before us a model of focus by saying, focus on the joy. So he focused on the goal that was on the other side of the cross. He didn't get caught up in the pain of the cross. The joy on the other side of the cross fueled him as he was on the cross. That's a lesson for all of us today in our, in our focus. In the writer of Hebrews, he says, fix, fasten, attach, grab onto Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. I've never seen a time in my life where our focus, our faith, our dedication, our commitment, our consecration, our unity, our gatherings have been under such attack. Focus under fire. I want you to go in the Old Testament now. This can be, we're going to pull uh, the rest of our message from this passage of Scripture, Judges, Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6, I'm going to read to you about 10 verses uh, about a popular figure in the Old Testament by the name of Gideon. Anybody ever heard of Gideon? And uh, good old Gideon, uh, in Judges chapter 6, verse 6, it says, Midian, this is a nation that was attacking Israel, so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Now, there's enough in that statement right there. It says that the enemy had so attacked them that they, so we got the order wrong. From the, from the outset, the order is wrong. As a last resort, we cried out to the Lord. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I brought you up out of Egypt. He starts talking about what he's done. Out of the land of slavery, his faithfulness. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you whose land, I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. Listen to this. But you have not listened to me. Now this is interesting because they are complaining about an attack that's happening in their life that they are convinced is someone else's fault. I know it doesn't apply to any of us today. But the people of Israel were very focused on what others were doing. What others were doing to them. And the prophet said, you didn't do what I asked you to do. 
The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Some of my favorite words in the scripture right there. Pardon me, Lord. This is like, it's like somebody called him the wrong name. Pardon me? Excuse me? What did you just say? He says, God is with you, mighty warrior, as Gideon's hiding in fear. He says, uh, pardon me, Lord. Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, just listen, listen to this progression. Let the word speak to you. If the Lord is with this, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go. It's like he didn't even listen. He says, okay, you done? Go in the strength you have. You have. You already have it. You already. So much of my focus is outside of me when God's saying, I already put something. I wish I could be like them. I wish I could have that. I wish I could. And he says, go in the strength I already put in you. It's already in you. And save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, he says again. Gideon's very polite. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you. Which should be enough right there. I will be with you. How you doing in 2020? God said, I will be, we, we could close after this. God just wants you to know he's going to be with you. I will be, is it enough? What else do we need? I will be with you. We're trying to finish the scripture. It says, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. In true Old Testament gruesome fashion. <laughs> Like, all right, let's just stick with that. We'll be with you. Uh, but he likes to capitalize it. Gideon's an interesting story because Gideon got pushed to a place where he wasn't supposed to be because of a condition of his heart that wasn't supposed to be there. Gideon was in a wine press threshing wheat. I want you to see the disconnect there because people are like, that's right. That sounds about right where you should, you should thresh wheat in a wine press. No, you, you don't thresh wheat. In a wine, he is out of position. He's out of assignment. His fear has pushed him to do the thing he was supposed to do in the wrong place. He's out of assignment. Now, I think when you talk about our focus, you have to talk about distraction. You can't talk about focus without talking about distraction because that distraction, we know, is an enemy of focus. I mean, you ever tried to focus? I thought this would be funny. Just a challenge this week, all right? This is a challenge. You don't have to do it, but if you want to, just try it out. I want to challenge you to not pick up your phone, not listen to any type of music, podcast, TV, but I want to challenge people to sit in silence for 30 minutes sometime this week. Some of you just broke out in hives. You're like, oh, oh. I, I, was, I was in our bedroom, this is months ago, and, and uh, I was laying, and a lot of times when we go to sleep, we got the fan on. And um, I, I, I was laying there, and the fan wasn't on, and I heard a sound that I never knew was happening in our room. I heard, 
is there a time bomb in? Like what? There is a clock in my bedroom that has been there for years that I never knew ticked audibly. What? That thing has been sitting there. This, once I heard it, I could not unhear it. I turned the fan on, and I could still, through the fan, I can hear I'm like, okay. And I like the clock. So I'm not, like, going to throw the clock out. I like it. It looks good there, but, but, the, but the sound, once I, once I heard it, I couldn't, un- do you know your focus is like this? There are things that grab our attention that you've never noticed before. And now you've noticed it as if your mind fixates on the thing that now has distracted you and you can't get rid of it. So the way we get rid of distraction, watch this, is by distracting ourselves another way. What would be very easy for me is to go throw the clock away. But instead I turn the TV up louder. Right. It'd be easy to get rid of the dish. But this is how in 2020 in America, this is how we deal with distraction. We distract our distraction so that we can move forward. We are not in the business of eliminating distraction. We are in the business of overstimulating ourselves to the point that we don't notice the distraction anymore. Most Secular studies would show that focus is not so much about, is not broken so much by distraction as much as overstimulation. That we have so many things going on that it's an inability to focus. And focus is a practice in isolation. If, if, if I'm going to learn how to focus, I have to learn how to Throw some clocks away. I, I have to learn how to eliminate some things. Do you know traffic moves faster when there's space between cars? A traffic jam when you move slow is when you have too many cars on the freeway. Some of you are trying to move forward in your life, your business, your family, your finances, and your faith with a traffic jam in your mind. Space is what allows things to move at the appropriate speed. Distraction. Distraction. The average person will focus on one thing for 40 seconds before being distracted or interrupted. I mentioned this last week, which means by now, you've already been distracted 12 times. It's, it's, it's our mind, it's so rapidly moving, it, 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 fi- it fixates on things that we don't want it to fixate. There, there, there is a, something I found uh, as I was studying the last couple of weeks called novelty bias. You heard of this? Novelty bias. This is, this is the attraction to something new. It is the hope that the next thing will be the best thing. This is why we're addicted to technology. This is why we can't turn this off. Studies show that when you get a notification, it actually releases dopamine, which is the feel-good chemical in our brains. It actually releases dopamine because novelty bias says the next notification could be good news. It could be that someone likes me. It could be that someone liked something I said. It could be... And we are constantly inundated with distraction. 
And the problem for many people is that many people crave distraction not because they don't want to focus, is that they don't, it is because they dislike themselves. That silence allows me to hear the voice of my past. Silence allows me to hear the voice of God. Silence allows me to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit convicting me. But noise, noise makes me feel better about who I am. You ever had this happen? You just feel good until everything dies down and it's quiet and then you hear the voices. Quick, turn on some music. Quick, turn on a show. Quick, distract me. Distract me. Do you know at the, at, at, at the, the really at the end of distraction oftentimes is a dislike of what comes from the silence of our lives. I, I, I want to talk to you from this text about your focus, your focus being under fire. It's interesting in the text it says, and we mentioned this, that it was their last resort that they called out to God. Not only did God deliver them out of Egypt, not only did God show his faithfulness generation to generation, but now you're in a land where they're being oppressed again by the Midianites, and it says they were so oppressed that they finally cried out to God. Let it, be never, let it never be said of us that we got pushed to the breaking point and then cried out to God. Let it never be said of church 1132 that we almost gave up and then we cried out to God. We need to pray more than we've ever prayed before. We've got to lean in, press in. We need to take hold of heaven more than we ever have before. This is not a time to sit and watch. This is not a time to withdraw and see what happens. This is not a time to observe the kingdom of God. This is a time to violently take hold of all that God has for us and to step forward aggressively into the great thing that he has. The last resort. It said in verse 10, it says, I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not Listen to me. You know, I think for us, uh, a, a difficult thing is, is recognizing that some of the situation that we're in is, uh, i got to be careful how I say it, but some of the situations that we find ourselves in are a byproduct of our own choices. That, that as you grow up, there is some time in your life where you have to start taking responsibility for your own actions. Well, if I just had that, if they just noticed this, if they, at some point you have to just decide, I'm going to be all right. That if it's just me and Jesus, we're going we're gonna to do it. We're going to figure it out. You don't need everybody else seeing everything about you. You don't need everybody else noticing you. You don't need everybody else. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to tell you, the enemy would love for you to live as a victim for the rest of your life. Well, the Midianites. You know, what, you, you know what God said through the prophet? He says, hey, 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 I understand they're attacking you. But did you understand that I asked you not to worship any other God but me, and you did not do this? It's heavy. He says, you, 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 you did not do this. Our propensity towards drama, this is going to be heavy, ready? Our propensity towards drama is oftentimes a distraction from our own despair. I've got to busy myself with how bad everybody else is while I don't look or while I turn a blind eye to what's happening in my own marriage or my own home. I think it's interesting the people that are so violent in their accusations of other people 
and in what disrepair their own lives are in. They, they, they can't pay their bills. They can't keep jobs. They can't keep their marriage together, their family together, but yet they're empowered to find the flaw. It sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? He says, make sure you take the plank out of your own eye so that you can see the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye. But some of us, we're so blinded. We're so blinded by ourselves that we can't even see correctly. And some people, the silence is so deafening. If they're not attacking drama, then they have to sit in silence. And when they sit in silence, they see clearly that their life is not what they want it to be. How do you deal with pain? How do you deal with disappointment? How do you deal with betrayal? How do you deal with bitterness? How do you deal with unforgiveness? How do we deal? This is what the Israelites said. God, why? And he's like, guys, I told you. I, 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 this is probably what Jesus is doing right now in 2020. What did you think I meant when I said in this world you have trouble? Well, that didn't include pandemics. I mean, he told us, get ready. It's about to get bad. And then he said, hey, guys, in the last days, it's actually going to get worse than bad. But cool. Don't worry. I got you. And we're like, what, what, is this, what is this bad you speak of? What is this pain? We're so confused about where God is and what he's doing. I, 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 want, I want you to see this. A couple things about focus that are so important. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. It says this. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. I was teaching the second year in, uh, college students about this this week. It says, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Now, I want you to see this. Consider the what? The outcome. We have a culture that is drunk on outcomes. I want your outcome, but I don't want your process. I want your job, pastor, but I don't want to go through what you went to. I want the outcome, but I don't want the problem. See, what, G what the writer of Hebrews is saying, he said, you got to be addicted to the ways. Because the ways produce the outcome. An outcome is something that comes out of. You, the life that you want will come out of the process that you give yourself to. And if you don't do what they do, you will not have what they had. I have to be so way-focused that the outcome is a result of my commitment to the process. I want your outcome. You don't get somebody's outcome. You don't just get somebody's greatness. You just don't get somebody's anointing. You don't just get some. No, it's a way. So the writer of Hebrews says, give careful attention to what your leaders have spoken and consider the outcome of their life. You like the outcome? You like good marriages? Okay, there's the outcome. Don't chase a good marriage. Find out the way. Oh, how do they do it? And give yourself to the way, because if you give yourself to the way, you will get the outcome. Now, wrong focus comes a little different times. Last week, we talked about different types of focus that, that come against us and how our focus can be blurry or biased or broken. And I want to I give you this. What wrong focus will do, the result, the outcome of wrong focus is this. Wrong focus will push you out of purpose. Wrong focus will push you out of purpose. This is what happened to Gideon. 
Gideon is threshing wheat in a wine press. He's doing the right thing in a wrong place because of a wrong focus. A wrong focus will push you out of your assignment and into a place, a posture, a, a type of living that comes out of fear. So Gideon's afraid. He's in there and he's threshing wheat in the wine press. He is out of position. Let me just ask you this question. What would you do if you were positive that you wouldn't fail? What, what kind of risk would you take if you knew you would not fail? I'll bet we'd live differently. I, I, I bet we would dream differently. I bet we would take different risks. If you knew beyond a shadow of doubt, you would not fail. But fear moves us out of position and it moves us out of purpose. Verse 12 is interesting. It says, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, now, now remember the picture, Gideon's hiding. He's threshing wheat in the wine press and God just shows up and he says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. I mean, that is like, that's like your kid throwing like the biggest tantrum that he ever threw in the middle of Target. <laughs> Everybody watching and you're like, you're the best behaved little boy I ever saw. He might just stop and be like, what? Or like Gideon said, pardon me? <laughs> the angel Lord does not call him according to the behavior that he's operating in. He calls him according to the potential that he's already packed inside of him. Which gives me hope that God doesn't always look at the outside of me, he looks at the inside of me and he knows my potential. That even in my frailties and even in my mistakes and even in my humanity, God looks through it and sees what he put in me so he can call me according to purpose because he knows the purpose that he put on the inside of me. That should excite someone in Prosper. That should excite someone in Wiley because God is not moved or intimidated by your lack or whatever type of performance you exhibit because he knows already what's inside you. Don't focus on what's attacking you until you've had a revelation of what's in you. Look what's around me. Look what's around me. Do you know what's in you? That's what the angel of the Lord was saying to Gideon. He said, you forgot something. I called you. You forgot something. You're my mighty warrior. You may feel weak. You may feel full of fear. But I didn't call you to be fearful. I didn't call you to be afraid. I didn't call you to withdraw. I didn't call you to shrink. Is this too much? I didn't call you to shrink back. I called you to be my mighty warrior. When God looks at you, he sees what's in you. He sees what's in you. The focus, the focus, wrong focus will push you out of purpose. Wrong focus will cause you to ask the wrong questions. It'll cause you to ask. If, if you're looking at the wrong thing, you will ask the wrong questions of God. I'll show it to you. It says, when Gideon again, pardon me, Lord, in verse 13, he says, but if the Lord is with us. I hear Christians saying this right now. Well, if God is, this, this is God's judgment on America. Because if God was with us, then, as if we know the thoughts of the heart of God. Last time I read, it says, his thoughts are not my thoughts. So every time I think I know what God thinks, I'm wrong. Because his thoughts are not my thoughts. His are higher than mine. 
It's, it, it's, on, it's on a different echelon. It's, it's not even in the same universe. It's, it's so outside. God, in fact, is outside of time and space. It is us that are regulated to hours and to days and months and years. But God lives outside of space. In fact, he entered into time to redeem us. He entered into time to speak to Gideon. He entered into time. But God, as a being, exists outside. That's how big he is. And we think, well, God, you said it. And the whining comes out. Pardon me, Lord. But if you're for us, then why? He says, where are all your wonders? I thought you acted, God. Where's all the wonders our ancestors told us about? Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us. Look at what the wrong focus is doing. It's asking the wrong questions, but it doesn't stop there. It's beginning to come to the wrong conclusion. This is actually the process of wrong focus. Wrong focus pushes me out of position. It causes me to ask the wrong questions, and the wrong questions, they cause me to come to the wrong conclusions. The wrong conclusions about who God is, but now the Lord has abandoned us. You ever felt like God's abandoned you? Me too. It's not, it's not a foreign feeling, but it's not a truth feeling. I felt a lot of things that aren't true. Just because I feel them doesn't make it true. Thank goodness. Can you imagine if all of your feelings make it true? Well, I felt like you looked at me through that mask. In a way that I did not appreciate. Well, your feelings are not truth. I can't even see your mouth. I don't know if you're smiling, frowning, chewing on your tongue or anything. I don't know. I can't see it. But, but we, we make these assumptions. We have these feelings. And we think it's, it's true. This is what Gideon says. You abandon us. That's my conclusion from my wrong questioning and wrong focus is you have abandoned us. Conclusion means this, a judgment or decision reached by reasoning. Ooh, faith lives outside of our human reasoning. In fact, if God was able to be understood, he would cease to be God. The moment you can understand the supreme being God is the moment that he ceases to exist as God. Because by nature, if he's God, his thoughts, his personality, everything about him is so far out, he's, he's God. And the moment that I can wrap my finite mind around this infinite being, he is not God anymore. But yet we continue to ask the wrong questions that lead us to the wrong conclusions. Said in verse 14, the angel of the Lord is just totally unhindered by Gideon's questions and by his doubt. He says, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have. When I read that this week, the Holy Spirit began to speak to me that the strength that I have, the strength that I need, rather, is the strength that I have. I just want you to think about it for a second. The, the strength that I need is the strength that I have. The strength that I need is the strength that I have. The strength that I need, say it again for true it, is the strength that I have. 
Come on, the strength that I need is the strength. Well, what is this, like a self-help conversation? It's a TED Talk about what's inside of you. Listen, you didn't put it in you. God put it in you. In fact, the Bible says greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in you. It's in us. It's not our power, our strength, our intellect. It's him working. I feel the Holy Spirit in this house today. It's the Spirit of God that moves and breathes and has his way. It's the Spirit of God that empowers us. It's the Spirit of God that saves a city. It's the Spirit of God that helps me overcome fear. It's the Spirit of God that's in me. Woo! It's in me. Oh, that makes you walk different. That makes you talk different. That makes you believe different. That makes you love different. It's not just me. It's him in me. Him in me. So, so, if, so if this is the deduction, if this is the result, if this is the outcome from wrong focuses, the question then remains, what is the right focus? So thank you, Dustin, for making us feel terrible about all the ways that we focus. But, but what is, what's the right focus? What is it? What do we fasten, attach, cling, and look at? I want to give you, as we close, four things to focus on in crisis. It's going to be fast. Get ready. Four things to focus on. In crisis, the right focus, God's promises. Oh, I knew he was going to say that. God's promises. God's promises. What did he tell you? What did he say? Well, maybe I didn't hear right. Maybe you should go back and cling to what he said before. Instead of asking the wrong questions and letting it slip away, maybe you should cling on to the thing that he said. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 it says, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken. I like amen being spoken. And everybody say it. Amen. I like that. I like that. I don't like quiet fans, all right? It's like, no, you, no, no, I, I can't even imagine playing basketball right now with no fans. I don't know how football is going to work. It's just like, I, I don't know. I like us all to be in it together. I don't, I don't like to watch a preacher. I like to participate in what God's doing. I like to be a part of it. It's his promises. Yes in Christ. Another translation says every promise God gives. It's yes and amen in Christ. So my right focus is God's promise. What did he say? What did he tell me? What did he promise me? My right focus, number two, is God's love. Now, all these click together because you have to have them all. Well, God made me a promise, but, I mean, I don't know. He made everybody promise. No, God loves you. Individually, he loves. He, let me just, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it says his divine power. Ooh, his power. Actually, let me skip. Uh, I, I skipped ahead. I gave, you, I gave, gave it away. God's love. John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. This is love. He loves you so much that he gave his son. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. Come on, he loves our cities. He loves our campus. He loves you. 
It's his love. So not only his promises, it's, it's, it's his love, but not just his love. Because love without power is a great feeling, but what do I, can he do it? Yeah, God's promises, God's love, but also God's power, his power, his power. Second Peter chapter 1 verse 3 says, his divine, whoo, God's power, supernatural power, has given us, me and you, everything. Saul said in the Greek, no, sure. everything, that means all, everything we need. We need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Not called according to our goodness. Called according to his goodness. His divine power has given me everything I need. So it's not only God's promises that I focus on. Not just God's love that I focus on. Not even just God's power. It's all of them together that then we focus on God's faithfulness. Has he ever let me down? Has he, has, he, has he ever messed up in the past? Remember when he thought 2008, everything was going down? Well, it didn't. And then you go back. Remember the other time? And remember when your own life? Remember in your own heart? When he thought, oh, I was, we were playing in the pool yesterday, and the boys, and I was te- teaching them, because they're getting stronger, I was teaching them how to tap out because I've taught them how to do an effective chokehold. And their arms are super skinny, you know. And so they can get up under my throat pretty good. And then, you know, they got the whole thing. I mean, it's like, whoo. So a couple times I'm like, okay, okay, but, but they don't know when to stop. So I'm in the pool drowning, you know. And it's like, okay, like you don't want to lose your dad that way. That's not good, man. So I taught them yesterday, like, when to tap. Like, if I tap... You got to let go, man. That's a rule. <laughs> like, don't be breaking those rules. And, and, and so Jude got it right away. I tapped. He stopped. Genesis, I don't know. It's like he just, like, didn't want to listen or something. So I'm like, ah, ah, stop. Like, tap. I'm tapping out. I think that for some of us, life gets us to the point. I think all of us have been there where we want it. We want that's enough. I can't take it anymore. You ever felt this way? Now, one more. No more bad news. None. I can't. I'm ta- God, I'm tapping. That's when you got to remember God's faithfulness. Has he ever let you out? Has he ever let you down before? Let me give you something. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Let, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. The hope that we profess. For he who promised, whoo, he who promised is faithful. He didn't just give me a promise to tease me. He didn't just give me a promise to get me up off the couch and pray one more day. My God gave me a promise that he has the power to keep and that he has the love to fulfill. And he's always been faithful, so he always will be faithful. In fact, my Bible says he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That means forever, forever. That means right now. That means 2020, 2021, 2022, 2023. My God 
is faithful. My focus may be under fire, but my God is all right. God is with you, mighty warrior. You're God's man. You're God's woman. No devil, demon, principality, or ruler of darkness can stand against you because greater is he that... Woo! Than he that's in the world... I feel the power of God. For all those that are new and wild and prosper, I'm sorry for what's happening right now. Not really. Not really. This is the type of response we need in 2020. Oh yeah, this passive faith is over. This passive Christianity is over. This boring sit-through, check-the-box church is over. We need a move of God. We need a move of the Holy Ghost and power. We need real salvation. We need real healing. We need the truth of Jesus Christ to advance against the deception of the enemy. I feel the Spirit of God trying to break out in your home, trying to break out in your marriage, trying to break out in your family. Why not you? Why not 2020? Why not? Oh, God, I just, I, I'm the weakest in my family. The thundering voice of the Lord says, You go in the strength you have.